0: There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. You don't have to be another face in your Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Thursday, August the 4th, 2011. This is episode 717 of the Survival Podcast. It should be a fun one. We're going to talk about EDC. For those of you that don't know the acronym, you will after today. You'll probably never forget it again because it's an easy one. It stands for everyday carry. That's the stuff that's on your body, on your person, at all times, wherever you go. And the first thing you'll learn today, we'll learn even before the show actually starts, before we even get into the housekeeping. That means if I walked up to you on the street and said, what's your EDC? And you said, it's this, 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 and this. And I said, show it to me, and you couldn't show it to me. It's not part of your EDC. It's part of your go bag, or it's part of your bug out bag, or it's part of your vehicle kit, or wherever else you want to call it. But if it's not on your body, it's not EDC because it's not everyday carry. So that doesn't mean that certain things, you know, you 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 relegate to the bug out bag or the go bag. And we'll talk about that today too, a little bit toward the end. But it does mean if it's everyday carry, it's either on your body or it's not everyday carry. Now. Does that mean that maybe there's certain things you carry at certain times and certain things you don't carry at other times and that's kind of EDC? I guess there's a gray area there. We'll get into that in a minute, though. Before we do, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, the Berkey guy. What are you going to get from the Berkey guy? I know this will shock you, but you're going to get Berkey water filtration systems from the Berkey guy. And that's important because water is one of our five primary survival needs. We'll be talking about those five survival needs today and how EDC fits into those. But water is among the most important. So one of the issues that we have when it comes to uh, our current life is that it's not just about water during an emergency it's about water we turn our faucets on and it's full of things like chlorine and fluoride i can make a case for why the chlorine's there but i don't like that it's there but i understand why it's there and fluoride doesn't belong there in the first place it's it's just a a a terrible thing that it's even included in our water it doesn't protect our teeth and it is a toxin and there's no doubt about the fact that fluoride's a toxin well, the Berkey guy can help you get that stuff out of your water in good times and help your water make you help you make your water safe to drink in bad times. So make sure you check out directive21.com, that's the Berkey guys website. Check that out today and consider adding a Berkey water filtration system or some of the other great stuff he has to your home preps. Next up today is shelfreliance.com. Notice I say shelf, not self, but shelf, like something you put stuff on. Why? Shelf Reliance is creators of some of the most innovative food storage systems available today uh, that allow you to eat what you store and store what you eat, even when you're buying your food from the local supermarket. They specialize in storage units for canned foods, everything from their large harvest systems, which can hold five to 600 cans of food, to their smaller consolidator systems like the cupboard and the pantry that are designed, shockingly enough, to go in your cupboard or your pantry and make uh, food rotation easy there as well. So check them out great company remember they also have the thrive brand of long-term storage food of all the long-term storage food varieties I've tried, the ones that I would be most happy to eat on any given day basis are the stuff from Thrive. It's food that if you put it into your kitchen today, cooked it for your family tonight, they would be happy to eat it. That's the best kind of stuff to store for long-term, so check that out. They have tremendous numbers of options there. I'm sure you'll find something that would make sense for your long-term food storage. And Remember, it'll be easy to pop that can open and use it a couple years from now if you decide you just want to have something different for dinner and replace it and keep rotation going on even with your very long-term storage items uh, next up today remember to connect with me facebook youtube and twitter that is the best way to do that also join our forum great people there that want to connect with you i have a big announcement about the gear shop today uh, we just put in the store Emberlit stoves these are a folding stove they fold down flat. Uh, they would be great in your vehicle kits, your camping kits, anything else like that, some of the other stuff we're going to talk about today. Uh, but they allow you to burn wood very, very efficiently uh, to cook with or to, to, or to even create warmth with. Um, they burn in a, a very very high-combustion manner, similar but not exactly the same as the way that a rocket stove gathers its efficiency. Uh, they're about 35 bucks. You want to check those out today. Uh, definitely something you want to consider purchasing. Uh, next up... Uh, remember that this week we are doing, uh, for MSB members only, uh, Stephen, uh, Harris's video, Bread from Gasoline, for only five bucks. It's normally 35 bucks. So if you're an MSB member, just log into your account and you'll find a link back there. It's not even a code, it's a special link. It comes down Friday night. Concurrently with that, I am running a sale 20% off any membership term in the Member Support Brigade. Uh, so you can use the discount code BREAD to claim that sale price on the MSB. That also stops Friday night. Uh, with that, I think we've got it. Well, one more thing on the MSB. You're going to be better off if you're military law enforcement, Peace Corps. Uh, I have what is called a national service discount. Uh, email me before you join, and you will get a better deal because it will apply to your recurring membership. So I have a really great deal for uh, military law enforcement and Peace Corps members, active duty, and prior service. All right. With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. Again, let's talk a little bit about what is EDC and what it And is. I've already said, if you don't have it on your body on an ongoing basis, if you don't typically have uh, the the product with you, the, the item with you, and I'm not saying that maybe one day you don't carry a specific piece of your kit, it's never EDC again, but for that day, if it's not on your body, it's not part of your EDC that day. And Most people will tend to have... Some items that are always part of their EDC, and then sometimes maybe we'll, if they're gonna go do something or be a little further away from home, maybe add a couple more things, uh, to kind of keep the pockets light, so to speak. And you ladies with your purses, you have an opportunity to actually carry a lot more efficiently than, than, than we can, because we're kind of limited to our pockets and our wallets. I don't know many men that walk around with a purse. Um, but the, even that kind of concept, the same thing with, you know, like something you keep in your computer bag or, or, or whatever, guys. Bags have a tendency to be put down and walked away from, and in that period of time, you don't have access to the item. So, if you're a lady and you leave your purse in your car, it's and and your EDC's in there. It's no different than a guy saying, "Well, my bug out bag is part of my EDC." No, it's not. Unless you go to your office with it on your back, it's not. If you, you know you walk around a water park with it on your back or what have you, it's not part of EDC unless it's on your body. Um, what else is EDC? EDC is not the stuff you carry in case 10 guys mug you, put you in the back of a Jeep, blindfold you, drive you out in the middle of the sawtooth wilderness and drop you off and say survive. Because uh, that kind of thing doesn't generally happen unless you're going to some kind of a special school where they do that to test you or something like that. Like When I went to um, the jungle school, we had a land nav uh, exercise where that's basically what happened. We were in our racks asleep. Uh, they woke us up. They said, "Grab your packs, and hopefully you have everything in there we've told you to keep in there, because we're not even gonna check." Uh, and they got us on a helicopter and blindfolded us and took us out in the jungle. And then the helicopter flew, flew these really wide circles as it went away, so we couldn't get a bearing off of it. And uh, we're out there in the jungle in the middle of the darkness, and we had to wait till light, and then basically uh, figure out where we were and navigate back to the uh, the school. And so but that doesn't really happen. That's not that's interesting theater, that's interesting TV. It's great military training, but it's not real life every day for the people walking around in North America today, is it? So it's not that. It's not to play Red Dawn. It's not for your your Hollywood fantasies. Some of you folks that are living in that Red Dawn fantasy Mad Max world, it, it is to get through any type of emergency situation and common everyday situations and not be unprepared for them. So we do look at the survival needs, and your five survival needs, as always, are food, water, shelter, security, and energy. Right, So we have to be able to either provide those things or improvise those things. And if we can't do that, uh, then we have a real issue. Uh if we're in a situation where the normal way that we acquire those things, security from law enforcement and and public officials, uh and from just society's basic structure. If we're in a place where that breaks down, even for a few moments, we're at risk and we need to provide our own security. If we're, you know, not able to get home and we're somewhere out on a highway, we have to be able to improvise shelter and energy to keep either warm or cool. We have to be able to provide ourselves with water. All right. So there's a lot of things that we need to be able to do, and EDC cannot ever perfectly cover them all. Uh, if you wanted to cover enough water for a day, well, maybe you would get yourself a nice camelback mule like I have for when I go walking up in the mountains, and that carries three liters of water. But are you realistically going to walk around with that? And the answer is probably not. You're probably not going to walk around with that. Uh, You're probably not going to walk around with you know, water purification tablets. You're probably not going to walk around uh, with one of those little water filtration straws. That may not be a bad idea, but you have to make a decision. What are you going to carry? What are you not going to carry? Is that really what you think you need to put a priority on based on how much space you have available? Because that type of stuff generally goes in the bug out bag, the go bag, 72-hour kit, whatever you want to call it. So... You gotta kinda put a balance here. We had a what spurred this was a question in the listener question series where somebody said, How do I do this without looking like Batman with his utility belt? And you know, if you see me walking around other than my key ring is fairly uh extensive, you don't really notice anything about what I'm carrying at all. I'm gonna go through exactly what I carry and why I carry about carry it in just a minute. But when I walk around, I don't feel any way encumbered by the stuff that I carry and You know, you shouldn't either, or you're not going to carry it all the time, and then it stops being what? It stops being EDC. So, in addressing those survival needs, um, I have always carried the same stuff that I carry now, other than I've changed maybe the brands and the items. And I'll talk about some of the specific items I carry, but in general, most quality items are good enough. When I met Dave Canterbury, though, and he talked about the five C's of survival, survival, I started using his terminology because I believe it makes it easy for people to remember. And what he's talking about with his five C's are the five things that we need to provide those five survival needs, food, water, shelter, energy, etc. So one is a cutting tool. Two is cordage. Three is combustion, uh, which means ability to make fire. Uh, The next one is cover, which, of course, takes over the shelter needs. And the next one is a container. The container does a lot of things for us, but it's specifically useful to make water safe to drink. Okay? Now, the problem is, now, if we're going out in the wilderness, we can put together a very lightweight, easy to carry kit that addresses all of those five C's. Uh, including something like, let's say, a one-quart U.S. military canteen along with a steel canteen cup. Now I've got a container for the water, and I've got a container I can cook in over my combustion. I can purify water. I can cook food. Uh, I can carry a stainless steel water bottle that will do kind of the same thing, but I like the canteen canteen cup approach better uh, because it gives me actually two containers. And so that's useful. I can purify water with the cup. I can dump it in the canteen. I can do it again. I can have a full canteen. I still have my other cup for cooking. Right or purifying more water to drink before I move on. So from a wilderness aspect, that works really well. But how many of you want to walk around carrying a one-quart canteen cup as part of your EDC? So some of the stuff we have to get by with skills, knowledge, and improvisation. Right, But we're going to start out with one where we don't do that, and that's the cutting tool. The cutting tool is what everything else revolves around because... You you know if I have to I don't like to live this way and I don't do it as much as some of the guys that are pure bushcraft guys do just to test themselves and develop their skills but if I have to and you give me a good solid cutting tool and you put me somewhere out in the woods I can improvise cordage I can improvise combustion uh you know I can I can do a bow drill or a hand drill fire I'm much better at a bow drill than a hand drill but I I can do both if I have to but if it's really wet out I might not be able to get combustion right so that's why we carry other things. But the cutting tool is how we can improvise anything. With a good cutting tool, I can improvise cordage. I can go out and I can do things like get the stalks of a nettle plant and I can turn that into cordage. Uh, I can use a lot of different materials. Aloe, or I mean, uh, uh, what do you call it? The one cactus, I can't think of what you call it now, makes great cordage. Uh, agave is, is one example. Yucca. I can use yucca to make cordage. That's what I was looking for. There, you know, so whether I'm in a desert or uh, eastern woodlands, there's always something out there I can make cordage out of. But it takes a lot of effort. But if I don't have a cutting tool, it's very hard. And improvising a cutting tool is the hardest thing to improvise. So I've got to start out with a knife. Now, on knives, uh, I, I carry both now pocket and neck knives. I have a neck knife, and I need to do a review for you guys on this that was made to me by a listener named Patrick who does custom made knives. And it is become my favorite knife. It's my favorite knife, one, because it has mammoth tusk handles, and I just think that's cool, but it's my favorite knife because it's always there. It's small enough. It's, I finally found a a neck knife small enough with a kydex sheath that carries where you can't tell I'm wearing it. It doesn't stick out of my shirt, but it's always there. It's razor sharp. It's made with laminated steel. And I think that long term, uh, it's one of those things that are, you know, not everybody wants to go out and drop two, three hundred bucks on a custom made knife. But long term, it's something that maybe you want to have, and you can get by with a lot less expensive stuff. You can go out to uh, Mora and you can get a you know an inexpensive Mora knife, and it's a damn good knife. Cody Lundin carries one. So if it's good enough for him, it's probably good enough for you. But I like having a neck knife, especially now that i found one with a fit, form, and function that carries well. So that knife is there. That knife can be abused if it has to be, and I try to baby it unless it needs to be abused. So I carry other knives, other cutting tools, so that that is always available to be the workhorse that it is. I do not like to carry large fixed blade knives on my person for EDC. If I'm going into the woods, fine. There are places where you go with a large fixed blade knife where people don't like it and there's places where it's not legal. So generally, it's easier to carry folders. Of the folders that I've been carrying, and I've carried a bunch of them over the years, I found two that I really like. And right now, I'm kind of bouncing back between them. One is the Cold Steel Lawman and it's a, it's a great knife. I bought one for my brother-in-law since he's a law enforcement officer. I thought it was great for uh his 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 law enforcement activities. Um I looked at a review of it by Nutton Fancy on um uh, on YouTube and several other people. The cold steel American Lawman. it's a great knife. Um it's a rugged knife. It's a very very sharp knife out of the box. Um the handle is uh it's got this like raised bumpy stuff on it. And when you first get it, it's literally sharp and you actually think it's a problem, it's gonna stick in your pocket, whatever, Uh, after handling it for a week or two, that that stuff wears down. And it's just a very easy to carry, very comfortable knife with enough length and backbone to it that you can do real heavy work with it if you have to. Um, The lock is just dead solid. It's the knife that I happen to be carrying today. I'm playing with it right now as I talk to you. It's an easy one hand open. Uh, You just heard that happen. Um, So I carry that knife often. But I also have another new knife that I've been carrying and I kind of like more. It's a larger knife, but it's certainly more substantial. It opens on pocket draw. It's made by Columbia River. Uh, it's the M21. And to be more specific, uh, the one I have is the M21-14SF. And that SF stands for Special Forces. I don't really believe that a lot of Special Forces guys are running around with this knife, but it is a great knife. It's a Kit Carson design. It has uh, a large handguard built into the blade, and when you draw the knife, that handguard catches the pocket and allows the knife to deploy on draw. They ship it to be carried what I consider backwards. Right where it doesn't really draw, uh, you know, draw uh, open on draw, but you can t- but it has different holes. You can take the pocket clip off, move it to the other side, and then it'll open on pocket draw. It's also got holes on both sides, so if you're a left or right hand person, you can do pocket draw on either side. What I mean by pocket draw is you pull it out, the knife opens. It's a more substantial blade. It's a great steel. Um, if you ever had to use it for a self defense tool, it's much more substantial as a tool uh, than the lawman. But unlike some other knives that I've reviewed from Cold Steel, um, it's not too bulky. It's not too big. The Spartan from Cold Steel, I carried that a little bit. It's a, it's a neat looking knife. It's a terrible EDC knife. It's just too big. The blade's not practical for doing fine cutting work and things like that. Um, so. I'm really kind of leaning away from the lawman at this point and going more to this Columbia River knife uh, that Rob over at Ready Made Resources, uh mentioned. I will have links to all of the stuff that I mentioned by brand name today, either on Amazon or other websites for you. If you want to look them up, take a better look at them. You don't really, if you're like, don't t- take notes for this or anything, you just go by the show notes and they'll all be there for you. Um, but those are my two favorite pocket carry knives. In addition to the neck knife and that knife, I also carry a Gerber EAB. And the reason I carry that is basically I use it as a money clip. So it doesn't take up any really additional space. The EAB um, is it stands for exchange blade. I've talked about this little thing before. We just had a listener write us Monday. He used his to get some kids out of a bounce house that blew over a fence. And the kids were screaming, and it was the cutting tool he had on them. I carry it mainly because it uses a standard razor blade. And that means that all the crap work that I don't need really heavy backbone for with my knives that's what gets, that's what gets done with it. So when I'm cutting a box open and it's got crappy tape on it, it's going to gum up the blade. If I'm out at my garden and I want to cut some stuff, uh, you know, like, it's, I don't have my pruners with me. It's a razor sharp blade. If I want to prune some branches or something, it's perfect for it. I don't have to worry about, I don't even worry about cleaning it. You know, I use it for a week or two. I, I cut everything that I generally need to cut with it. It's always there. And uh, so it's more of not an emergency tool for me. It's more of that's what I use so that my blades that are needed for emergencies are always sharp. And, you know, I use it for a week. And I just take the screwdriver, unscrew the blade, flip it around. I use it for another week. And then, I throw, then I put a piece of tape on the blade so it doesn't come through the garbage bag. I throw it away and I put a new blade on it. People say that's wasteful. To me, it just means I always have a sharp blade. And I'm not going to sit around wasting my time sharpening a razor blade. They're cheap enough. You can buy a hundred of those blades um, for about 10 bucks at Home Depot or Lowe's or Walmart or somewhere like that. That's enough to last you at one blade lasting two weeks because every week you turn it around four years for $10. Um, The EABs, eventually, the little clip on the back of them, I've had several of them, the clip breaks off. If you carry them inside your pocket with that clip, they generally don't. When you do what I do and carry them as a money clip sooner or later, that clip tends to come off, but they're only about 10 bucks, So I'll spend more replacing the frames than for the blades because when they do break off, eventually I go ahead and stop just keeping it in my pocket and buy another one. Uh, I think they are a great, great tool. I think if you're looking for a little inexpensive gift for somebody, they're one of the best things that you can give them. I would like to see Gerber improve the clip on them. Uh, but that may, you know, double the price and then maybe they won't sell as well. I don't know. But if Gerber doesn't do it, I'd like to see some manufacturer basically build something that's just as compact. And when you look at this thing, it is tiny. It is about the size of a money clip. It folds right into itself and it's a good cutting tool. I've never had one fail. The weakest component, you know, other than that clip, and that's not a working component. The weakest component on it is going to be the blade itself. So if you apply enough pressure to break a razor blade, you're using a razor blade wrong. But check out the EAB. So that's my pocket carry and my neck knife as far as blades. And that, again, I can use that to improvise anything that I really have to have. But one thing I don't want to have to improvise is cordage. Now, it's a little less critical, actually, in the EDC world because generally the EDC world means I'm not going down the trail. right? And If I am, I'm only going a couple miles. I'm not going off in the wilderness. I'm going to take more with me if I go off in the wilderness. If I lose my kit in the wilderness, as long as that neck knife is on me or that pocket knife is on me, I can improvise. But when I'm in the wilderness and I'm trying to stay alive and I'm trying to improvise cordage, it's very time-consuming to make 10 feet of cordage. It's very easy to carry 10 feet of cordage. So that's why it's so important to me that it be carried with you. If you're going off in the wilderness, you have that big fixed blade you take with you, you know, you can wrap some tarred line around the sheath. And, and that's a great way to carry a lot of cordage. In the everyday world, it's something that's a lot easier to improvise. If you are in a suburban, urban, even rural environment, there's generally all kinds of crap around you. Uh, from old extension cords to to wire that you can find in, in garbage dumps and all kinds of things that can be used as cordage. So why do I always carry some cordage? Because it's easy. You know, one of the best ways to do it is build yourself one of the little uh, paracord bracelets. Uh, and if you do that with a, a, a double layer, you can easily carry thirty to fifty feet. And it's just a bracelet, and it's always there. And uh, the, the nice thing about the parachute cord, not the paracord, parachute cord. You've got lines inside there, so you can pull those lines out, and uh, those each one of those lines, I think, is tested to, uh, what's because the, the whole thing is, is 550, 550 pounds, but the individual cords, I believe it's each one individually can hold about 35 pounds, and I think it's actually stronger than that, but the whole cord uh, is capable of, of holding 550 pounds, so it's very strong. And by stripping out the guts, you have access to all of that individual cordage in there. So, and then you still have the sheath. And the sheath is actually quite strong as well. I don't know that I would trust my life to just the sheath. In fact, I know I wouldn't. But there's a lot of things that you can do with that cordage. So it's good. The problem with it is it is kind of bulky. It it really is. And uh, the bracelets and and the, you know, making them into lanyards and things like that or key fobs. And I also have um, a key fob that I keep of some parachute cord on my keys. And it's actually I like better than the bracelet. It's not as much. It's done into like a, a kind of square configuration. And there's all kinds of videos out about how to, you know, make these different braids. But the key fob's actually pretty quick to take apart. If you've ever actually taken apart one of those bracelets, it's kind of your last ditch thing going to that cordage because it takes a lot of time and pulling it apart. It's almost, um, I say almost as much time consumption as improvising cordage out of, uh, nettle branches. Um, it really takes a while to pull those tight knots back apart, uh, but you do end up with a fairly large amount of cordage, and again, you can strip the guts and you end up with more. So it's there, it's available, but it's it's kind of a last ditch. That's why I've kind of gotten to a point now where I have a uh, a real appreciation uh, for tarred twine, and it's something I always used with uh, like my jug lines for fishing and trot lining and limb lining for catfish, and it just makes sense to carry it with you instead. And you can, you know, bundle up 50 feet of that stuff and, and, and just bundle it in a tight bundle and then wrap your tail around it. And it's like carrying a couple little matches in your pocket. Uh, it can be part, you can put, put that on your sheath of your neck knife. There's so many things you can do with it. Uh, and you always have that cordage available. And of course you can improvise more if you have to. So it's kind of the one that I've become, uh, most enamored with. The next thing I look at is a cordage that makes sense for EDC is called picture wire. and It's just basically the same wire you would use to hang a picture. One thing you'll always notice about me, as you will almost always see me when you watch videos of me wearing a a baseball cap or a baseball style cap, usually my Army hat, uh, maybe one of my uh, Pittsburgh Steelers uh, caps or something like that, in all of them. Inside, there's like a little rim around the inside, a little thing you can pull down the sweatband, basically, for your head. In there, I keep kind of running back and forth uh, quite a few feet of picture wire. Um, God knows what it's ever going to be needed for. It could be used in anything to make a snare, uh, to wiring something up, but it's always there. It it weighs practically nothing, and it takes zero effort to make sure I have it with me because I've just built it into something I carry all the time. And there's a lot of things you can build into things like hats hats. And belts and things like that as well. Uh, but that's one that I, so I always have, usually I always have all three on me. Uh, a little wad up of, uh, of tarred line, and I'm going to see about adding some to the sheath that I carry on my neck now, see how that's going to work out instead. Uh, that way I won't have to worry about it anymore. Uh, you know, emptying out of the pockets type thing. Um, and I've always got the wire, and I've always got either the key fob or one of the bracelets. I actually gave away all my bracelets and need to make a new one for myself. Um, but those are important, and the reason the cordage is so important is when it comes to improvising things like shelter or snares or just maybe tying up a part of a car that's dragging on the ground so you can get home or get to a repair shop, it's much easier if you have something on you. With picture wire, if you needed to wire up something underneath a car that was just dragging, not something really, really heavy or anything like that, you could do it. If it was a component that got hot, unlike paracord uh, or tarred line, it's not going to get hot and melt off. So it doesn't always have to be a survival situation. In fact, I use most of the stuff in my EDC all the time for situations that are just easier to get through because I have them. I don't have a whole lot of you know death-threatening emergencies in my life, and hopefully you don't either. So it's not just about that. That's a big takeaway that I want you to have from today's show. The next is combustion. And fire does so many things for us. Um, if I I'm, if I'm, am stuck in some kind of a, a true survival situation, fire lets me harden the point of a, of a, of a spear. Uh, fire keeps me warm. Fire gives me light. Fire helps my morale. Fire cooks my food. Fire purifies my water. I mean, fire is a signal that, so that somebody can find me if I want to be found. Fire is, is, you know, really, I should have probably talked about combustion before cordage. It's more important than cordage. There's so many things that fire does for me, and I want to make sure I can always make fire. So one thing I always carry is a ferro rod, and, and I don't really care what brand of ferro rod you, you carry. It doesn't really matter. They're all good, and if they're not, get another one, and they're cheap. I'm looking for a way. In fact, what I'm thinking about doing now that I have this wonderful neck knife is sending the knife, and it's just hard to do, I mean, even the knife maker himself, Patrick, wants the knife back because he really didn't polish the blade to the level that he wanted to and some things like that. He got a chance to come down and visit, to, visit me, and I was excited about it, and I didn't want to give it back. So I probably needed to send it to him and let him finish the, the blade polishing. Uh, but I'm also thinking about sending it over to our you know, buddy over at my buddy over at Lenwood Leather and having him make a custom sheath for me that's designed not just to hold the knife, but it's also designed to hold a small ferro rod. Uh, and that would that would solve a lot of issues, and maybe even build something a little pocket into it where it could hold uh, some nylon. And I'm actually thinking about seeing how he does with that, and if he does it well, maybe taking and having him design sheets for a commonly available, affordable knife that we could offer the sheaths through our gear shop, uh, like the Mora. I think the Mora is a great little wilderness knife, great little neck knife. So we'll see where that goes. But um, the, the whole point though is. is What you're seeing there as I kind of ramble on through that is I'm trying to make what I carry easier to carry and more bulletproof and not to be forgotten. Uh, I don't carry a lot of expensive gear. When I get to my flashlight in a minute, I'll talk about that but because I lose stuff. I'm, for all the organization it takes to run this show, when it comes to stuff, I'm not—I, you know—I look for my glasses every day, and since they're not on my head, I can't see well, and they're hard to find. I'm a guy that puts stuff down and loses. I don't lose it permanently, but I lose it for three or four weeks, and I have to get another thing to make up until I find where I put it behind somewhere. Um, so that gives me the propensity to break my own rule. And you come up to me and go, well, "What's part of your EDC, Jack?" And I go, "Ferro rod." And uh, unless I happen to have one on my keychain, which I do, and unless my keys are with me, because I haven't lost them yet, it's not really on me. So anything I can build into something that I wear, uh, and I wear every day, and it's just kind of, you know, I go to bed, I take it off, I put it on the nightstand, I wake up, I put it back on, you'd think my glasses would fit that, uh, takes away the ability to lose that. And I want fire in that world, because it is so freaking important. So a good ferro rod will always get you a good spark, and in most situations, it's going to guarantee you a fire. It really is. The little magnesium fire starter, ones with the ferro rod and the magnesium, that helps even a little bit better. But, you know, the the issue is that if things are damp, it's often hard to get a fire going, even with a good ferro rod. So one of the easiest things to do is just carry a lighter, Get yourself a good quality Zippo, keep some flints in it, keep it Keep it uh, filled with lighter fluid. Even if it runs out of fluid, you've still got a great sparking tool uh, with the flint and the striker. Or get yourself an inexpensive Bic, uh, wrap it in paracord, Little. leave a little fob on the end of it, put that on your keychain. Have a way to make fire that's a guaranteed flame, and a lighter is going to guarantee you a flame. Um, I also like some of the sparking tools, but they're more of a wilderness thing. And if you're going to carry something, why not carry something that you know is going to work? So ferro rods and lighters are really my two favorite things. And if I have a lighter, I have a sparking tool. If I have a ferro rod, I have a sparking tool. So the sparking tools, like the blast matches and things like that, they're just basically either a ferro rod or a flint built into some type of apparatus. They're cool. Um, the blast match is actually really great. I don't know how well it fits for people, though, as far as its size as an EDC product. It's a great, you know, micro-wilderness kit. No problem carrying one of those. But fire rod and lighter and know how to use them and know how to make a fire. And I think that people underestimate how hard it might be to make a fire with a lighter. Uh, you know, go into an area where it's rained recently and, and you know, try to build a, a substantial fire. And you'll start to learn that, you know, you do need to learn things like how to use your cutting tool to, to maybe make shavings of wood and get into the wood that hasn't absorbed the moisture as much and build a tinder bundle and things like that. I think people think that just because I don't have to sit down with a bow drill, my problem solved, and not always. It It does make sense to carry some sort of... Uh, you know, guaranteed flame catch system, like getting some dryer lint or some cotton balls, uh, and rolling it in some Vaseline and then putting that into a little pill case and putting that pill case on your keychain. Uh, that little, that little bit of tinder, you hit it with anything and it's gonna burn. And I'll talk more about pill cases here in a minute, but fire is that important that you need to make sure you have additional redundancies. You should have at least two methods of making fire on you. And to me, the easy ones are a lighter and a ferro rod. If you have that, you can always start a fire. So when I need to light the grill, I don't have to run around the house looking for a way. Just there's the lighter and the grill's lit. So again, EDC, it's not always about the emergency. It's about everyday use as well. Uh, the next one in Dave's list of C's is cover. Now, if we go out into the wilderness, we can carry a light backpacking tent. We can even carry a small kit with a couple contractor garbage bags. That helps us improvise cover quicker. But these things don't make a lot of sense to walk around with. Now we're going into, even with just a good con- one contractor bag, um, that stuff's in the bug-out bag, it's in the go bag, it's in the vehicle kit, it's whatever. It's just too bulky to carry around every day. So what we have to carry in, in our EDC beyond just our stuff and, and probably more important, because in an urban environment, I can even improvise cutting tools out of a hunk of metal or something. Is we need to carry or a piece of glass, right? So what we need to carry is a skill set and a mindset. So with cover, I find that I always end up as I'm, you know, walking around the area and I see some junk piled up somewhere. Going, how would I build a shelter out of that? And I'm always asking myself that question. That question's part of my EDC. How would I improvise that? What could I do? And it's not just cover. It's, it's, you know, there's a piece of pipe. I could make a blowgun out of that. What would I use to make a dart? You know, I mean, okay, that could be used to create a deadfall trap. How would I improvise cordage in this situation without using what I'm carrying on my body? So I'm always asking that question. And I think with cover, you really need to use improvisation uh, and adaptability, and I think what you'll find is in just about any kind of anything short of a true wilderness situation where you should be carrying more with you anyway. There's always tons of stuff wherever there's civilization to be adopted as cover, including abandoned warehouses and things like that. If you just need to hole up for a day. So cover is all about the mindset, it's less about what you carry with you, but if I've got cordage, I've got a cutting tool, and I've got combustion, I can improvise enough cover to keep myself warm and dry, and that's going to keep me from dying of, 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 of uh, or, or being severely injured you know, by uh, hypothermia or hyperthermia. So I'm going to be able to control my body temperature, and I'm going to be able to provide myself cover. The next thing then of course is a container. And this is another one that I think that you should have a good container that can be used for boiling things in your vehicle. That as a minimum, that has to be one of the things that's in there. Uh, it's probably not a bad idea if you work in an office to have some stuff like that in the office. But I can't see the average person walking around without looking like a loon with, again, that one-quart canteen with the canteen cup, which is my preferred, you know, if I'm going off into the woods for even half a day and, you know, I want to make sure that if I'm not able to get back that I have a weight. And that's that's my kind of my favorite thing for that. Um It just doesn't make sense on a daily basis. So, again, you've got to improvise that. So you have to always be looking around and think what could i put water in that i would be able to boil it and you know i always keep a couple stainless steel water bottles in the car so there's there's something there but again it's not edc now in most situations for that type of a need you're going to be able to get back to my vehicle or get back to my home or what have you but you never know so again this is cover and, and container are the two things that in your edc world i feel you need to be thinking about now there are some things you could do but you're not going to really do a really good job of boiling water with them. I guess in some instances you can. but um, And there's ways to do it. But a good one-gallon Ziploc bag folded up tightly into a square and tied shut with tie wraps or some sort of cordage. Now, I've got another tie implement, and I've got a container. It's watertight. It'll carry. It'll hold. Um, and one day maybe I'll do like a hunter's kit show. Uh, maybe I'll do a video for that because it's so visual, but where I get this from is when I go bow hunting when I go, or even rifle hunting for deer, uh, when you shoot a deer, you've got a sizable animal you have to deal with, so you've got that cutting tool to field dress them, which is basically gutting them, and you leave the guts in the woods. Right, unless you're somewhere where you can easily extract them and you know, like some hunting ranches, they don't want to do that, you know, because of the setup and another hunter's coming in behind you next week and what have you. But generally speaking, you leave the guts in the wood to rot and be eaten by predators. So you go in there and you gut the deer. Well, two things come out of that deer that you generally don't want to throw away, at least I don't. And that's the heart and the liver. I don't like deer liver, but sure the dogs do. Right. So and some a deer liver is a pretty sizable uh, piece of meat. So, what I'll do is, I'll take that home, I'll cut that up into cubes, I'll boil it, and I'll put two or three or four pieces of it. Because don't feed, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to warn you folks out there that maybe are new deer hunters or never been feeding delivered to your dogs before. If you fill up Fido's bowl to the top with boiled deer liver and you don't feed them the regular food, nothing but pure deer deer liver, eight hours later, they will literally explode um, nastiness onto your carpet and probably your walls. Ask me how I know. It wasn't me. It was an uncle, but uh, I've never risked it again. But a couple pieces of it, mixing with their food, they like it. It's a treat, highly nutritious, so I want to bring the liver home. The heart, I cut that up, I fry it in butter and butter and garlic, and I eat it. So those two organs... Uh, what I'll do is I always carry two one-gallon bags with me when I in my my hunting kit, and I would put the heart and liver in one and seal it up, and then put that one in the other because you get blood all over it, uh, and then generally toss that into the chest cavity of the deer as you're dragging it out. Uh, but if you needed to put it somewhere, it wasn't going to get blood all over everything. So that's kind of where that comes from. But you could, if you wanted a container, that's the best way I can think of to carry it. With that, you can actually purify water water exposed to uv light for a long enough period of time will kill most not all but most of the things that could be nasty in there for you so if you take a ziploc clear bag and fill it up with water and hang it from a tree or a limb or an overhang and you let the sun hit that uh, for several hours that water is reasonably safe to drink at that point Uh, so there's things you can do you can with a plastic bottle, you can actually boil water in a plastic bottle, but it's difficult and you can only get away with it so many times and you risk excuse me you're risking some chemical contamination as well, so you could carry a container that way i don't, but I wouldn't fault you if you did it uh, and again, a one gallon bag. You know, bundled up that way Uh, I've never done it with one I always carried two in my kits but it's still a very very small compact thing so that's one way you could carry a container you could carry a collapsible cup some other things like that personally for me I don't do it I do carry in my wallet a fairly large square of folded up heavy duty aluminum foil that could be improvised into a container I don't even have that on my list but I just thought of it now Um, the next thing I want to talk about are some specialty items but I call them specialty items because you don't really need them, but they're nice-to-haves, and they're easy to carry. Um, I always carry a light. I always carry a flashlight, and you will not know how valuable a flashlight is until you're carrying one with you every day. My light is the Streamlight uh, Stylus Pro. Uh, they sell for about 20 bucks. There are some better lights out there, titanium this and that and uh Really brighter, better, high quality lights and they sell for 60, 70, 80, 90 dollars and up. Um, this light is bright enough that if you needed to, if you needed to draw a weapon and you were in a dark situation, you want to be sure of your target, it will both disorient and illuminate your target sufficiently, uh, at any kind of true self-defense range in the dark. Let's face it, if somebody's 50 yards away in the dark, you're not drawing down your Glock or your forty five on them in a self-defense situation. You're much better using the darkness to take cover and concealment and get out. So in a, tr- a true situation like you hear a bump in the night in the house, you pick your weapon up, uh, and you go through the house with it, definitely good enough. It's got the light switch on the back, and that allows you to, instead of turning it all the way on, turning it all the way off, to use pressure to turn it on or let it off. And I think it's it's great because of that. It's also very easy to use a disorienting strobe effect on somebody. Uh, but I use it for, you know, if, if something's going on under the, the hood of the car, to look at things. When we were furniture shopping, I was looking at a table, and I wondered if it was solid wood, and the salesman didn't have a clue, so I went underneath it by being able to look at the grain on the underside. So, I mean, you just never realize how valuable a good light is until you carry it. It's about the size of a thick pen. It's got a clip on It clips on the inside of the pocket. Um, I started carrying it in my left pocket because I carried my right and the, my knife in the right and I found that a lot of times as I got out of the car the seatbelt would jerk it out and would fall and hit the ground. Uh, the good part, it's fallen and hit in the ground many times, it's dinged up and it still works just fine so I know it's rugged. Uh, the bad part, it keeps happening and yanking on the clip so I've gone to carrying it next to my knife on the right side, uh, just something to think about with anything that you carry in a clip in your pocket, uh, when, every time you ex- exit your vehicle if it's on your left side you have a potential for it to hang up on things. Uh, that's when you're driving, of course, and when you are a passenger. If you're more often a passenger, that's completely reverse. So think about that, and maybe if you're a passenger today, it goes in one pocket. If you're a driver tomorrow, you move it over to the other, uh, if you can remember to do that. I never can. So I've gone to a right-side carry with it. But I think it makes a lot of sense to carry some type of a good light. And the little pen lights and things like that on your keychain, that's nice. But a good, solid, true light like the Stylus Pro. Again, Streamlight Stylus Pro links to everything in today's show notes. Um, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, There's some better lights out there. uh, But for affordability, and if you're like me and you occasionally lose stuff, uh, you can buy two or three of these for less than, than one of these other more expensive lights. And I would rather have one than have a better one and not be able to find it and only have one. So two is one, one is none. And this is, to me, a good enough light. Um, the next one that I have for you is, um, really kind of a, a cool, uh, thing that I think that people, you know, if you're not gonna learn how to use them, they're, they're useless to you. Uh, but I started watching Brian Black from ITS Tactical's videos on lock picking, and I decided to buy a set of lock picks, and I did. These Bogota entry, uh, tools, as they're called on his site. And I started trying to learn to pick locks by just going around my own home and trying to open up the locks in my own house. In a day, I was able to, with lock picks, open every lock on every door in my home. Deadbolts, uh, and, and, uh, the, the, you know, the regular, uh, knob locks as well. Some were a little bit harder to do than others, but I was able to open them all. It taught me two things. Locks are only a means of security. They're not a guarantee of security at all. A skilled person with a lockpick set can open just about any lock very, very quickly, so you need additional security. Two, if I lock my keys in my house, I can open my door and get in and not call a locksmith. And If I'm in a situation where I really need to get into a building for legal reasons, I can do it, so now I carry lockpicks. The warning. In some states, in some places, it is illegal to possess lockpicks unless you are a locksmith or a law enforcement officer. Know your local laws. Uh, warning number two. I learned this from Ron Hood on his last interview shortly before his passing. Um, if you are in the act, if you are committing any kind of a crime, uh, and you're carrying lockpicks in some places, they become uh, a way to add an initial count or crime to what you're doing or to maybe make the crime more severe, maybe move, move a misdemeanor to a felony. Um, I'm not aware of those individual laws across the nation. It's up to you to figure them out for yourself. Uh, but I'll tell you what, um, if you live in a place where it's legal to carry them, it's worth learning the skill and it's worth having them. If you live in a place where it's not legal to have them, uh, but it is, uh, but but you want to have them. Generally, you can have anything you want in your house. Uh, it would be a good idea to get them, to learn how to use them, and then to learn how to make them out of things like making them out of pieces of wire and bobby pins. That way, you would have the skill, and with your cutting tool and maybe a multi-tool, you could create them on the fly as needed. I don't think it's as valuable to you because I think that a purpose-built tool is always better for the job, but it is an option. So knowing how to make your own picks is probably a good idea and a way around the situation if you're not allowed to legally carry them where you live. Uh, on the set of multi-tools, there's a few things that I really, you know, kind of are another part of my EDC. Uh, it gives me another cutting tool. I carry one of the, Victor, uh, the, uh, the Swiss Army Victor Knox uh, Trekkers. I carry that particular model because we sell it in our gear store. And if it's going to go in my gear store, it better be good enough for me to carry. I've always just carried it in my pocket. Uh, now we have one of our forum members making Kydex sheaths. I bought one of the sheaths from my own store. Even like I said, just send me one. I went ahead and purchased it because I do quality checks on the gear shop all the time by ordering product myself. And uh, I've been carrying the Swiss Army knife in that sheath. I love it. I love carrying it in the sheath. So the, probably the most used thing in my Swiss Army knife is the toothpick. Um, I always have a toothpick. That, that alone makes it worth carrying the thing. Uh, the little screwdriver tools are nice too. The can openers, the blade. The big thing is the saw blade. Uh, by having now a saw blade, uh, you know, I'm not gonna walk around EDC with a, with a, with a hatchet. And you might say, Jack, well, why carry, you know, your lawman or, uh, you know, your, your Columbia River knife and your Swiss Army knife? Isn't the Swiss Army knife another cutting tool? You got a neck knife? Yeah. Yeah, it's overkill. It really is. But it's because I believe the cutting tool is most important. And I believe if I get in a situation where I have to abuse a knife, having another knife with another sharp blade uh, is a good thing to have. And, again, I carry it mainly because I sell it. And if I sell it, I'm going to carry it or I'm not going to sell it. Um, Next is, and I don't carry this anymore, but I found it to be a great little tool. It's made by Tool Logic. It's called an SL3 Tactical Folder. And uh, it is really uh, a great way to carry a cutting tool, uh, with a ferro rod built into it. Uh, I had one for a while. I stopped carrying it when the clip got bent. I could take the clip off and bend it back. But that's the biggest flaw I found with that. It's not a really rugged uh, clip. For clipping in the inside of your pocket, uh, but it is a good tool. Uh, again, Nothing Fancy did a review of it, and he really liked it as well. So uh, you might want to check that product out. It's just basically a little pocket knife with a tube attached on the top of it, and uh, the ferrule rod goes into that tube. That could be improvised very, very easily with some kind of quick disconnect to become a neck knife, and that would give you nowhere near uh, what a good flex blade neck knife does. But it would, it would fill a lot of function and it would be something on your person that would be very hard to lose or forget. Uh, another one of the little multi-tools I really like is the Victor Knox Swiss card and has a little set of uh, uh, scissors in it and a pen and some other stuff and it's about credit card sized. Of all the credit card sized tools, that's the one that I personally like the best. Moving on, I want to talk a little bit about something a lot of you have probably been wondering when I'm going to get to it, concealed carry. Um, I consider if you carry a weapon, uh, for it to be part of your EDC, because you should, if you're gonna go through the trouble, have a gun, get the training, get the, the certification, the, you know, the concealed carry, uh, permit and all. Well, it doesn't make sense then to not carry. Um, I don't get deep into it as part of EDC because if you're carrying, you should know how to carry. Um, Concealed carry does mean concealed It does not mean partially concealed There are states where if And I believe it's all the states that have concealed carry only I know Texas feels this way And I know Arkansas feels this way If I can see the outline of your weapon At any time it's not concealed And it can get you into trouble If you go into a store and the clerk you're talking to the clerk about he gave you the wrong change or something, you're even being legitimate about it, uh and the outline of the weapon is evident and he becomes intimidated by it, it's considered brandishing. And any time that the weapon uh, is visible to somebody that's not supposed to see it, which means anybody, uh then it's considered brandishing. And, you know, it all depends on, you know, whether you actually meant it that way and does the law enforcement officer responding use his head and what have you. But it's something that you need to think about and you need to make sure you're not ever brandishing, quote unquote, your weapon. Uh, so make sure you have a really good, high quality way to carry that. I've carried with a lot of different things. I'm currently carrying my forty-five with a Kydex holster uh, made by Orion Concepts. Uh, they, they give a discount to the MSB. I really like that. I've carried with a belly band. I like that. I'm actually thinking about with all this heat in the summertime, uh, less and less carrying my 45. I go more to carrying my Bursa uh, 380. My Bursa Thunder 380. It's an ex- inexpensive gun. I think it's a great gun. Uh, those of you that don't think a 380 is enough, I'm going to drop something on you next week. I'm going to drop uh, a report of lethality and uh, stopping power of uh, actual gunshot wounds going from 22 long rifle all the way up to 44 and in uh, and 45 ACP as well. I think you'll be surprised. I think you'll be surprised at how similar uh the actual one-shot stop, one-shot kill, one-shot lethality uh and lethality overall are across the spectrum of a lot of ammunition that we see as being underpowered. So, um I I do believe with concealed carry that you carry what makes sense for you based on how you're dressed and where you are at the time. So make sure that if you're doing concealed carry, you have those things buttoned down, and and then it's part of your EDC. And I don't need to say any more than that about it today. Uh, Next up, though, less than lethal self-defense. I think that makes a lot of sense. Some people carry a Cubiton. I believe in multipurpose. So that Streamlight uh, Stylus Pro light that I have, that's a damn good Cubiton. I can use a lot of pressure holding techniques pain compliance techniques impact with that tool, and because of my uh, constant dropping of it to the concrete ground, I know that it'll stand up very, very well to it. Uh, At my son's uh, displeasure, uh, we were playing around with it a little bit, and I was showing him some of the things, and he was like, yeah, that works. Uh, So I know it works for that, and I've taught him to do the same thing with it, and uh, hopefully he'll carry the one that I gave him. Uh, He's not good about carrying many of the things that I give him. Uh, He doesn't like the EDC concept very much. He's a typical kid what's going to go wrong um, but I do know it works well for that so that's one type of uh, less than lethal thing that I carry your knife is not less than lethal okay? if you use it and you don't deploy it and you use like let's say just the closed uh, folding knife you can use it that way but one thing you better understand about a knife you better understand this if you're going to carry one you're going to think about using it in any way shape or form uh, for, for defensive purposes the minute you pull a knife out even if you don't open it Uh, You've pulled a lethal weapon and you have given any responder or the person that you've pulled it on, even when they're wrong, you've given them reason to use lethal force as well. So a knife is not a less than lethal tool. Please don't think that it is. It is a lethal tool. It, lethal doesn't mean that it always causes death. It means capable of causing death, and the conflict has been escalated to a point where lethal force is justified by a responder or by someone else. Understand that in any situation, even using your concealed carry uh, handgun, if you have the ability to do that, that someone responding in a crowd, somebody responding from law enforcement, may not have seen what went on and is not necessarily sure that you're the good guy. So whenever you're using any type of lethal implement, uh, not only do you have a tremendous responsibility uh, to the to, to surra- people surrounding you to making sure that you're using it justified in the first place, you have a tremendous amount of responsibility to yourself and your family to make sure that you do it quickly, efficiently, and immediately start asking questions like, is everybody okay? Somebody call the police. Bad guys don't do that. So just on the less than lethal, I wanted to add that in. Uh, So what is less than lethal? Coupitons are less than lethal. Uh, Stun guns, tasers are less than lethal. They generally don't fit well into an EDC. Um, What does fit well into an EDC? A good uh, canister of Cold Steel Inferno pepper spray or another good quality pepper spray on your key ring. I carry that everywhere I go every six months I throw it away and buy a new one cheapest insurance I can purchase on my on my life and the safety of other people around me and it's very very effective. I know some people say oh, I knew this guy and he could get sprayed with it and he put it on his spaghetti and whatever you know whatever uh, I, I just get I get weary of stupid shit like that I really don't need to hear it from anybody anymore um, All I can say to you is if you believe that, come see me. Let me spray you in the face with Cold Steel Inferno and you show me how functional you are after that happens. Uh, We'll have a great big bucket of water for you to stick your face in and cry into after it happens. Yes, it can happen, but I've also seen valid reports of one guy that was shot three times in the chest with a .357 uh, and was able to get to the guy that was firing the gun, punched the guy in the face, broke his jaw, nearly killed him from a, a move that he did on the guy's neck, And then this guy that got shot, fortunately for us folks, was the good guy. And he then got into a car and drove himself four miles to a hospital. And then he was saved. Why? Bullets do funny things. So nothing is ever a guarantee in a self-defense situation, and pepper spray is a damn good implement as a less than lethal tool in many situations. It also has the potential often to diffuse a situation. So if there's a conflict that's kind of brewing, the very fact that you have it, and say, look, I don't want to do this, but I will. Will often prevent the escalation because what's the alternative? The alternative is if you're outmanned, outgunned, so to speak, but the other side's not armed with a gun. But you have a physical confrontation to draw that weapon and take your take that conflict to a place where it can only be resolved one way, with with a lethal potential uh, when you when you fire. So if you can avoid that, it makes sense to do so. Some people will say, but if I have that and I go there and I go to the in-between, then maybe that gives them the opportunity, and before I can draw my weapon, then they take me out. I, You know, every single situation like this is a judgment call that you have to make, and you have to be responsible with it because you have the ability, if you're carrying a lethal implement, to take somebody else's life. And you have to make that call for yourself, and if you feel that your life's generally threatened and you have to go right past that implement, right to that escalation, fine. Somebody's got a gun or a knife, I'm not pulling pepper spray. Right, I'm making holes. So that is always there. But if you only carry a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I'm saying carry a hammer, a saw, and a square. uh, And a screwdriver. And that way you can solve different problems with different techniques. It certainly won't help to have with you. Um, pill cases I mentioned earlier you can carry a variety of things in them mainly what I carry in a little pill case on my keychain it doesn't seem like it takes up as much space as even a key uh, it's a little bit of tinder with some Vaseline on it I know I can always make fire with that there's some other things you can fit in there there's bigger ones, and smaller ones I carry these real little ones I'll put a link to Amazon where you can get some of, like I carry also portable data I think we rely on our phones for an awful lot uh, but phones when they get wet they die uh, phones when the battery runs out you, you can't really get to them uh, and there's limited to how much data we can carry on our phones. The uh, jump drive that I carry uh, is a device made by Corsair, and it's called the Survivor Drive, Flash Survivor. It comes in a little stainless steel tube. I think it's actually aircraft aluminum tube. It screws shut, it's completely watertight, it floats. Uh, I had I've taken it. I've had my son hold a one inch pine board. Uh, you know, with the grain where you could break it by punching it like a karate board breaking. I've held it in my hand with the end protruding out past the thumb. I've struck the board and shattered the board with it and done no damage to it. So that was my, how rugged is this? I need to do that on camera for you guys. Uh, but that means this is also an impact tool. So it's another less than lethal means of defense, but it also means my data is secure on there. And as long as I can get to anything that can read a USB drive, I can get to the the data, and I have additional data that I keep on there, and I'll leave what that data is and why I carry it for another day for another show. But I've actually been considering trying to get these into the gear shop for a long time. We cannot get a discount on them um that is sufficient for us to sell them for less than you can buy them from or even at the same price that you can buy them from some, from elsewhere so i'm thinking about putting together some software and some materials to load on them and then we will just source them for the same place you will and basically we'll sell the drives and we'll upsell based on the value of what's on them uh maybe some instructional video maybe some old podcasts i don't know uh but they come in 8 and 16 gig and i think you can get them even bigger they are expensive compared to a typical drive But, um, again, waterproof, impact resistant, Um, and when I did that with the board, not only did it not damage the case, everything still works on it. Uh, They are the best thing I found, the most rugged, dependable, multi-purpose thing, and they also give you, guess what, what do you get out of them? It's small, but they do give you a container. So, multi-purpose whenever you can. Um, Let's talk a little bit about kind of supplementing this stuff, and, and what three different things are that do that. Let's talk a little bit about the bug out bags as we're wrapping up today. I'm not going to go into what goes into a bug out bag, but I I want to restate for you. I haven't done a bug out bag show in a while what a bug out bag is and is not. Bug out bag is not something you throw on your back. Uh, grab your AK or your AR and head up into the woods to play Red Dawn when the shit is the fan. That is a fantasy. That is not how the world works, and you're not going to survive for very long on what you can carry on your back. If you look at an infantryman in our Army or Navy or um, Army or Marine Corps today, you'll see they carry an awful lot on their back, but they constantly have supply lines resupplying them. Um, There is a limit to how much you can ever carry on your back. That's not what a bug-out bag is for. A bug-out bag is a 72-hour support kit designed to get you from a point of danger to a point of safety or enable you to wait for help to come in a reasonably comfortable way. So a lot of things like the container and water purification and things like that go in the bug-out bag. The bug-out bag goes in the vehicle. There's at least three days' worth of food. Uh, I don't really carry a lot of water in the bug-out bag or on the bug-out bag. I try to I try to uh, always also have in my vehicle one of my Camelbacks with three liters of water. There's some water there. I carry some jerry cans of water or some jugs of water in my vehicle. I believe for storage of water in your home, uh, you can use milk jugs, you can use, the two liter soda bottles are probably one of the best things in the world to store water in your home with. Um, I'm not real confident in them in a vehicle where things get bounced around and broken. So a good reinforced water jerry can, they are kind of expensive for what they are, but for your vehicles, it makes sense to have, you know, a five gallon can of water like that in your vehicles because it's so important. That's not the bug out bag though. That's kind of vehicle kit beyond the bug out bag. So bug out bag, just understand what you're talking about. You're talking about clothing, you're talking about food, and you're talking about all the stuff that we would love to carry on us all the time, but we can't. Additional cutting tools, maybe a hatchet or a good machete, things like that. Uh, I love having a modular approach with the bug-out bag, a smaller sub-kit that can be removed. And inside the bug-out bag, I have a medical kit. The medical kit is marked in some way with red. That way, when it's hard uh, to see or when I'm really panicked and I need to get into the bag and I need the medical supplies, if I see red, that's the medical bag and out it comes. All right? Um, I actually have a really big vehicle kit. Uh, that doesn't stay in the vehicle all the time. It's designed to go in the vehicle. If it has to, it stays in the house. Uh, it's made with a Leapers deployment bag. It is huge. It is heavy. It is bulky. I would hate to carry it on my back, but it's all the additional stuff. If we ever had to bug out, either with the RV or just one of the vehicles, that would be grabbed out of the closet and go. And it includes interesting things like uh, higher-level self-defense implementation. will leave it at that. But bug-out bag is that three days. What is the difference, folks, between a bug-out bag and a go-bag? For some people, it's the same thing. Uh, for me, they kind of are and they kind of aren't. To me, a go bag is more purpose-built uh, and it's more specific to your job, your trade, or your situation, or your seasonality. Um, a typical person with a bug-out bag will have everything they need in there and that's going to make it bulky and heavy, um, including like cold weather gear. But when it's 106 degrees out, how much cold weather gear do you need? So a go bag gets lightened because it's tailored to the situation but it's really kind of like a, again, purpose-built bug-out bag. Uh, there's also something called an active shooter bag. I don't have it in today's show notes, but that's that's your, your pure self-defense uh, operator-type level bag. That's maybe some medical stuff, maybe a little bit of food and water or water purification, but it's really set up to hold magazines and, and, and the things that you need to keep your weapon running, and it's grabbed in accompaniment with a weapon, and it's for responding to a lethal situation. Uh, so that's, that's the active shooter bag. We're not going there today, but I just wanted to bring that one up. Medical kits. I think medical kits go in different various sizes and shapes and functions. There should be a basic first aid kit in every vehicle you have. Uh, and it probably shouldn't be inside your bug out bag. It should probably be in a glove box or somewhere where it's easily accessible. There should be a slightly more advanced uh, medical kit with uh, some redundancy to the first one inside the bug out bag or the go bag or what have you in your vehicle, and probably you should have like an M3 medic bag or something more substantial that is a flat out, everything you can think of medical kit, and if you have the room, that goes in the vehicle. If you don't have the room or don't have the resources to have one in every vehicle, it stays in the primary vehicle and- it's always so. Uh, you also need to have something like that in the home, but it doesn't necessarily be, need to be in a bag. But the medical kit supplements a lot of other things. I do think it's important to start thinking this way, though, for you guys. In every bag, this is not your EDC, but in every bag, there should be some medical supplies. Some basic stuff. Uh, basic painkillers, basic bandages, I think the Israeli battle dressing, as many of those as you can have stashed in many places as possible to make sure if you ever need one, they're there. I'm a huge fan of Quick Clot. We just had a guy comment on the board, on the forum, not the forum, the uh, the show notes I, from one show I did recently when I talked about it, saying that the consensus now is people don't use it because in the heat of battle, uh, it can get your eyes and blind you. It, it spills all over the place and what have you. I'm going to tell you I think it saves lives, and if you heard what the show today was about, it wasn't a lot about being in a trench somewhere or a foxhole somewhere or in the desert somewhere or doing close quarters combat. It's about everyday life. And if you have something bleeding profusely, quick clot is a great way to stop it. And it does work and it does work effectively. My buddy Brian over at ITS cut his foot one morning pretty bad. He was leaving bloody footprints as he walked. It wasn't really something that needed quick clot, but he wanted to test it. So he did, and it worked perfectly. I'll see if I can find the article he wrote about it and link to that to you for today as well. Uh, but somebody else responded there and said that there's a lot of bandages that are treated with quick Cl- Cl- clot now, and that does address the concern of it blowing in the wind, getting in eyes. It's designed to absorb liquid. You really don't want it in your eyes. You really don't want it in your mouth. Those are two really bad things. So having it impregnated into a bandage may be a better way to go overall. I'll have to look into those. I hadn't looked into them yet. Uh, but I recommend Quick Clot and Israeli Battle Dressings as part of your medical uh, preparedness. You, you have to realize that there's only a few things that really are the typical things that kill people, and this is why you might want to have another kit called a blowout kit in the industry. Uh, I think Brian calls it some kind of trauma kit now because somebody trademarked blowout kit. Um, but basically there are several ways that people primarily die. And those three are tension hemothorax, which is basically where you you suffocate due to a buildup uh, of blood in the in the uh, in the chest cavity. Uh, and there's there's a, a way to uh, relieve that with a, a needle and a tube, uh, but it requires quite a bit of knowledge, and it's not something people are generally confident in doing. Uh, the other one is airway obstruction, and there are ways to clear the airway, uh, but the number one way that people expire is through hemorrhage. They bleed. And if it's external bleeding, it's something that pressure alone can often uh, stop or at least slow down enough until you can get first responder help to take over. Uh, I'll put a link to uh, Brian's article about blowout kits on his website today so you can look at these three. But I want you to realize that the one that you generally can do something about uh, the quickest if you have a material is going to be hemorrhage. So you want to make sure you're prepared to deal with hemorrhage. With airway obstructions, it's often uh, the way you position the head and having basic first aid experience or to physically clear the airway. Uh, and remember, we just had James Stein on who said, people will not swallow their tongues. They, and like I said, if you think that they will, try to swallow yours right now. So I wanted to put a little bit about med- medical kits in here and a little bit about kind of these, 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 you know, s- these killers that we generally don't like to think about on a daily basis. And again, um, it's, it's hemorrhage is the one that, you know, if it happens to anybody, I don't care who you are, how strong you are, if you bleed enough, you die. Blood is life. Life is blood. Uh, so having, again, quick clot, uh, Israeli battle dressings, and other compression uh, style bandages and, and, and things to to stop bleeding uh, is something that you should make available anywhere, uh, anywhere possible. So if you have an office, you should have a kit, a med kit at the office that does this. You should have one in your vehicle. You should have one in your home. And you should know where they are, and you should know how to use them, and you should get some training in how to use them. Not really part of EDC, but if I left it out today, it would be a gaping hole in what I'm talking about. Because EDC is really about being prepared for stuff that can happen every day. Again, it's not about Red Dawn and Mad Max and all these fantasy scenarios that certain people have. I think people live in this little space in their head where they kind of have a problem. It's not about that. It's about dealing with everyday life. That's why it's part of your everyday carry. So we might have things that are for extreme situations, like a handgun. You know, I'm not going to use my handgun like a hammer. Uh, to, to, to put a nail into something. It's not a multi-purpose tool. It has a sim- a single function in reality. I guess we could use it as a combustion tool. We could pry out, you know, we, we learned this in hunter Safety in Pennsylvania when I was a kid. You know, if you get lost and you need to make fire and you've got a rifle, you can pry the slug out. You can dump out most of the gunpowder. You take a little piece of cloth. You can put that into the cartridge. Push it in there with a stick with just a few grains of powder. And I don't mean grains by weight. I mean grains by, you know, sprinkle a little bit in there fire that out of rock, pick it up, blow on it, put it into the little pile of gunpowder, and you've got guaranteed flames. I guess maybe we could make a case for that, but really, a handgun is for the use that a handgun is for, which is providing lethal, uh, lethal uh, response in a, in a life-or-death situation. Uh, pepper spray is not for putting on your spaghetti. Pepper spray is for when someone's molesting you or attacking you and needs to be dissuaded in a non-lethal way. But most of the other stuff has countless everyday uses. And that's why I think you should make everyday carry part of your life. And it doesn't have to be all at once. You don't have to go out and buy all this stuff. I will put links to it so you can find it. If you buy it from Amazon, please go through my link. I'll make 50 cents or something and that's nice. Uh, and I, you know, I, I appreciate it. But you can probably put together a lot of this stuff from stuff you have lying around the house and it's stuff you can add, uh, over time. So you know, I would start out with making sure it doesn't have to be a, a custom-made neck knife. Make sure you have a good cutting tool on you. Make sure you have some cordage on you. Those two things can be done for under twenty bucks. Uh, and make sure you have a way to start fire. That's a dollar thirty-nine Bic lighter. If you have those three things, in most situations you can improvise everything else you need. You add a multi-tool to that, even if it's a cheap one, you know, like a little Leatherman knockoff or something like that. You've got another cutting tool. You throw in a Gerber EAB light. You preserve your cutting tools. You're out less than fifty bucks, uh, and that takes you ninety percent to where you need to be. I do believe that the flashlight, if you get a Streamlight Stylus Pro, I believe that you will consider it a great investment. I don't think you'll ever regret buying it. I don't think you'll ever think Jack Spirigo told me to buy this piece of crap, and I shouldn't have. Uh, so unless you're really strapped for cash, it's something I would add. And, and that would give you a great start to an EDC kit. When you start carrying EDC equipment, and when you start using it, and when things happen like you get locked out of your house, and you whip out your lock picks and get back in and don't call, call a locksmith, or you get a, you know, and what really sold me on it was I had a trailer hitch uh, that I needed to remove from my truck so I could put a different hitch on, and I lost the key. And Brian came over and it was a very difficult lock because it was a small lock and whatever. Uh, but in about ten minutes he got it off for me. That saved me a hell of a lot of grief. And uh, I, you know, it was a really heavy duty hitch. There was no way I was going to be able to cut it off with anything less than a settling torch. So I was either having to go to a machine shop and have somebody do it with a settling torch, or pay a locksmith. And a locksmith probably would have charged me a hundred bucks. So you start to carry this stuff. And the little things that always happen anyway start to happen. You start to respond to them. And then you start to fine-tune it for your own life. And that's really what it's always about, personalization. I'll give you the items that I mentioned. Again, I'll give you links to them. But you could carry totally different stuff. And I would still think that your kit's great if it fits your life. Uh, I don't recommend these things as the very best. They're the very best for me that I've found so far, based on their cost and their utility and their multifunctionality. Um... Handguns again. I like carrying a 1911 because I like to shoot a 1911, and I shoot a 1911 all the time. Walk out, not can walk out my back door any day and fire a couple uh, magazines off and stay familiar with my weapon. But the burst of 380, knock it if you want to. But I know a ton of police officers that carry it as a backup weapon. I know a ton of police officers that carry it as a a, a, a carry gun uh, when they're not on duty and they don't want to carry that larger uh, service firearm. So. I think it's a great tool. But whatever you want to carry, make sure the big things is you're familiar with it, you remember that you have it, you keep it on your person, and you have a plan on how you're going to use it if it comes up. Do that, and I think you'll find that EDC makes a lot of sense in your life. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.